Hey, this is Chris from Much the Same, and you're listening to the Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast! Talking Records Podcast! Talking Records Podcast! We talk about our favorite records! Talking Records Podcast! We're so glad you tuned in! Thank you all for listening! You showed up to the right place! Jen and his friends dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love! We'll tell you how we found the band! Track by track, breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Hi everyone, welcome to Talking Records. My name is Jed and this is a podcast devoted to connecting with people over great music. In a moment, I'll be joined by much the same guitarist and singer Chris McGrath. Make sure you check out Talking Records on the net. You can visit our website at TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. From there, you'll find episodes and merch. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Records Podcast. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You can also drop us an email at TalkingRecords at Outlook.com. These are all great ways for us to connect with you over great music. Apple users, every positive review helps us become a little more relevant. If you have nice things to say... Leave us a review, and we'll love you forever. Based out of Chicago, Illinois, much the same released Quitters Never Win in 2003 on AF Records, the label run by Anti-Flag and based out of Pittsburgh. I discovered the band through the wonders of the internet, Wormholes, and was immediately hooked. I downloaded the band's second album, Survive, and just loved the throwback style. Similar to bands like The Decline and Symphony of Distraction, the band seemed to be channeling that mid-90s fat epitaph sound, but making it their own. These guys are clearly influenced by the same stuff I loved. Much the same was producing fast and crisp punk rock with a great sense of melody, Their songs charged forward with intensity and felt genuine. This was not click-and-drag punk rock. This stuff had life to it. I quickly snatched up the band's first full-length Quitters Never Win, an incredible debut. Here to chat about the record with me today is Chris. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Very good. Welcome to the Talking Records podcast, my man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk about Quitters Never Win with you. You guys just remixed and re-released this album. This was your debut, right? Yep. All right, so I'm going to fire a bunch of questions at you about the record, and uh, here we go. All right. On the strength of a demo, you guys connected with AF Records. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Gosh, I think it was, I want to say it was maybe like 2001 originally. We had played a show, it was like a basement show, with probably like 20 or 30 people there with um, Chris number two from Anti Flags, other band, whatever it takes. And uh, so that was that was the first time we met him um, and it was pretty exciting. I, I wasn't a big Anti Flag fan at the time. A couple of the other guys were, um, but I was, you know, kind of just starting to get into them at that point. But uh, yeah, whatever it takes was really good. And we hung out with them and just kind of kept in touch. And we also were uh, becoming pretty good friends with a band called The Code, which was uh, also on AF. And um, so, yeah, so we, between uh, those two connections, we started talking to them more and um, didn't really expect that they would want it because, you know, we just assumed that they were primarily into political type stuff and we definitely weren't that. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't they a political label? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, once once we heard more of the bands that they had, I, I don't know that that was necessarily true, uh, I, but I think it was understandable that they named the label after themselves and, and everybody kind of... Um, <laughs> kind of made that assumption but uh but yeah but they were really cool and super supportive you know there was never any issue about us having any particular politics or anything like that so um it was just it was cool to uh to be working with them and were you guys in any way affected by the flood that washed through af records in 2004 oh gosh i I think we were i remember that i don't know if they lost any of our stuff or not but yeah I, i hadn't thought about that in a while but i do remember that happening I think that was pretty devastating for them. And I, I don't remember if they even stayed in that space or if they moved after that. But yeah, that was crazy. But yeah, as far as I remember, we st- they, they didn't lose any of our CDs or any stuff like that that I, that I recall. 
Yeah. Did they have any of your like original masters or tapes or anything like that from the recording sessions or did you guys hold on to that stuff? The files were still uh, with the engineer and precision. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they might have had there as well. Uh, we were, you know, I mean, at that point, the CD was out and everything. So when we did this re-release, um, you know, we went back to the original files from the studio anyway. So, well, that's good. Good for you guys. So I want to know where, so where did you actually record Quitters Never Win? Um, yeah, so we recorded at Bomb Shelter uh, Studio in Chicago. And uh, that's uh, Dan Precision's studio from Idiot Fingers, Louie, and Rise Against. Yeah, that was another, we had, you know, Rise Against had just been getting pretty big. Uh, at that point, I'd gone to see them and I was in, I wasn't a huge 88 Figures Louie fan, but I, I liked them. And 88 was actually the first punk band I ever saw live when I went to see them with Branson uh, oh, really? in 1995. And so, hmm. uh, so yeah, so I was definitely familiar with Dan and what he had been doing. And so, yeah, again, super exciting to kind of get to work with this guy that we didn't really know at the time. You know, it was definitely just kind of a business like, hey, well, I guess that's not true. We started, we did the demo first with him. That's That's when we first worked with him. Oh, all right. So we did we did three songs from the album before we had the whole thing written. Um, and that was just something like to burn and pass out at shows, you know, well before the Spotify days and everything. You know, you, you literally had to hand people music or they wouldn't they would never yeah. hear it. Um, so we did a demo with him. But, yeah, it was it was that kind of really exciting, like, wow, this guy's, you know, a big influence on me. And now he's going to be involved in this. And so we became friends pretty fast. Um, and then, yeah, went back to him to do the full record when it was time to do that. Oh, so that's cool. So I, I just kind of assumed that AF Records connected you with him. So you guys had already worked out of that studio prior to meeting AF? Yeah, or? yeah. Because that, I'm pretty sure, awesome. again, I don't remember exactly the dates, but um, whether or not we've met AF first or not, yeah, that was definitely just, because um, we had, so I think the way that connection originally happened was um, through uh, a band called All Else Fails that was a Chicago band at the time, one of the first other Chicago punk bands that we played with who would go on to become Break the Silence uh, with a different singer. Um, and uh, eventually some guys started Counterpunch too. So um, yeah, a lot of Chicago bands kind of came out of All Else Fails. But yeah, they had recorded with Dan real early on. And so we'd heard, that's where we originally heard that he was a studio engineer and heard his work. So um, yeah, I think that's how we got connected was through those guys because uh, we were very close friends with them. So what was the mindset going into recording this album? Like, what were you trying to achieve? What were you going for? I mean, like, honestly, at that point, I was just excited to have 12 songs. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Because <laughs> we'd had, you know, I mean, everybody goes through that period of writing. And, you know, you have songs for a while and you get sick of them pretty quick. And we had done an EP before mm-hmm. that, actually, that we released ourselves. Uh, and... You know, we were still playing two songs off of that, but we had written a bunch of other songs and, you know, there was the, the band had changed quite a bit. It was me and the original drummer with with two other guys at that point. So really, yeah, it was just it was just like, OK, we're finally at the point in our existence, which was, you know, three years in or something like that, where we finally have enough material to to put an album together. As far as like overall like style and stuff, I mean, I was definitely listening to a lot of Rise Against at that point. Yeah, because they, you know, again, they were they were pretty new. I wasn't, I was always into like the faster, harder kind of melodic punk. You know, the, mm-hmm. the poppier stuff wasn't necessarily my thing as much. But um, but like Rise Against was probably the first band that like really leaned into the hardcore side of that. Where I was like, oh, I'm yeah. super into this now. You know, like that was, <laughs> um, and you can hear it a little bit. I think on the record. I mean, we got into Thrice you know, right around that time too, I think maybe a little after that, but strike anywhere too, was just starting to get uh, popular. And that was oh, another band, band that I was super yeah. into. I think, I mean, I, I have some of the dates kind of mixed up probably here, but before that I would say, you know, good riddance was probably the heaviest thing that I was listening to, oh, you nice. know, but that was, you know, also, I mean, when you listen to good riddance, it's like half of it's heavy, half of it's really kind of poppy. It's just his voice kind of makes it a little more, you know, punk rock sounding. Yeah, he's got that gruff voice. Right. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, you and guys. I don't. Um... So, <laughs> so it's like if we wanted to, <laughs> if we wanted to do anything heavier, you know, it was it, we were just yeah, we were gonna have to figure out a way to to make that work. So that's kind of what I was trying to go for. I mean, I I feel like we know ne- we didn't really find our sound necessarily on Queer Never Win. You know, mm-hmm. that started to develop a little later, but it was definitely the beginning of just yeah, me wanting to play, you know, that that mix of like fast punk with like really good catchy songs, but also like almost like a, you know, an almost metal level of aggression in my mind, uh, whether or not we were pulling that off um, was kind of what I was into. So that's, that was the direction we were going. Yeah. And that's one of the things that kind of drew me to your band, because I like the fact that you guys brought like intense amounts of energy, but you weren't like screaming all the time. I mean, you had the you had the guy screaming in the background a little bit. I don't know who's that on conclusion. Who's doing the? Uh, yeah, on conclusion, the it's, it's Dan, our guitarist. Uh, yeah. We had uh, yeah. another guy, Dan from Break the Silence, who was a friend of ours. Uh, did a little bit of screaming on the record too. Um, nice. You know, because again, that was like prime screamo time. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was almost <laughs> like we, we, yeah. we weren't into screamo, but we almost couldn't help it. It was like it felt like it needed that there based on all the music we were hearing at the time. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's a good mix, I feel like. And I, you mentioned the uh, the EP. Yeah, I did notice that you had two songs, Liar and Someday Not Soon, from the first EP. Uh, why did you decide to roll those two out for the, for the full length? Um, at that point, those were just the, the last two that we were still playing live. Um, so uh, that, our, our mindset there was kind of like, well, you know what? This is, this is our set list today. Like these are the 12 songs that we play live. So even though they are already on the EP, I don't know if we were, I don't think we were sold out of the EP yet, but we'd only printed a thousand mm-hmm. copies. Um, and, you know, we were pretty far along with those. Um, and we couldn't really officially sell them anymore anyway, because our, our band name had changed and there were like legal issues with, with selling the physical CDs that, that said, don't look down on them. And so, so yeah, so it's kind of like, well, you know what, let's just start clean. Let's let's put all the songs that we're ever gonna play live on this thing, uh, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm glad we did that because those uh, came out better the second time around. I think you know some people still really like to go back to listen to that EP. I have you know some friends who still say it's one of their favorite things that we did or or whatever. But to me, it's yeah. like it's kind of nice to just go. That's <laughs> kind of the old band. It was different guys. You know, it was kind of the genesis of the band and. You know, we updated the artwork for Bandcamp or whatever, but to me, that's not even really a much the same record. Um, what are some themes uh, throughout the record? Like, what are some some things you were thinking about or things you were writing about during that time that kind of stand out? I would say they're probably two major themes one was so songs like wish liar and and miss the pain are basically songs that i was just like i was being very introspective about the kind of person that i was becoming um and not really liking that person um which had a lot to do just with the the choices that i was making the way i was acting toward people um uh and so i'm a, I'm a christian as well i don't know if you know that but Um, so a lot of the songs, early songs that I was writing were kind of came out of like prayers that I would say or whatever, like these were kind of songs written to God about me and what was going on. And so all three of those songs really are that of just going, I really don't like this person or that I am or the way that my life is going right now. Like I need some help with this. I don't, I don't know what to do about that. Um, I don't really see a way out of what I've already done. That was that was a very mm-hmm. common theme for me in the early days of my songwriting. Um, Did you feel there. like vulnerable putting yourself out there? Oh, like for that, sure, or? for sure. And yeah. I mean, what's funny <laughs> is even now, like people who've been listening to that record, you know, since it came out, still don't pick up on either that you know there's any songs on there that have anything to do with God or or, or, or yeah. any of that stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like I. I'm surprised you could ever like people singing along don't don't get it and it's like that's fine you know yeah but for sure there's there's a line somewhere on the record too that that talks about that of just like you know why would i put myself out there this way you know because these are really it's very tricky to be like 
well, I want this song to be about a thing and I want it to be a genuine expression of how I'm feeling, but I also kind of want to skirt around it a little bit because, you know, if you get too direct, A, it may not make yeah. a great song in general. Like it's not lyrical to right. always be a hundred percent, you know, blunt, you know, you <laughs> want people to be able to relate to it too, uh, to a certain degree. Right, so, right. Um, I've changed my I've changed my view on that a little bit over time. I've realized that some of my favorite songs that give me like the most emotion are things that I can't necessarily relate to, but because of the way they say it, it's like I can empathize with mm. what they're what they went through. Um, yeah, totally. like there's songs where I just go, like that line right there, that happened to that guy because you can't make that up. Like that, whatever that thing was mm. that he said or experienced, like <laughs> that has to come out of reality. Um, and nobody's ever going to have that exact experience again, but it, it just, it hits you like a ton of bricks when you hear people say stuff like that to me. So, so that's, that's one of the themes. I mean, another, I mean, there, a lot of the songs really also were either, you know, your kind of typical breakup songs or being mad about being in the friend zone kind of songs. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's at least two of those. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I mean, we were, you know, teenagers, early twenties, that's just, that's a pretty common uh, thing to be going through at that age. And so, you know, Definitely. that's, that, that's the stuff that we were emotional about. So that's what we were writing about. Um, but yeah, Quitters Never yeah. Win itself was maybe even an outlier. I tell myself that I am not cut out for this. I don't like getting shame that's happening now. But when I think of losing everything I've done so far, I know I've got to make it work somehow. Definitely more just along the lines of like, oh gosh, this is so hard being in a band, like trying to make this thing work. And, you know, people keep quitting and, and I want to quit and, but I really don't, you know, like I really want to do this, but it's, yeah. it's like, so that was kind of just my motivation for myself to go, okay, I got new guys in the band again. Let me try again <laughs> to see if, if we can make this yeah. thing work. And yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You guys went to, uh, you guys went through a few members. Yeah. Like way more than you would realize, uh, <laughs> like early in the early on. I mean, like I could probably talk for an hour just trying to lay out all of the di weird different, like back and forth yeah. stuff we did with, an, yeah. with another local band where we were just trading members back and forth for like two, three years. <laughs> um, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah. yeah you, you must feel like you're not getting any traction when you have to keep rolling in new guys, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, songwriting was never my deal either. Like, I was, I wrote songs mm. because nobody else was going to, like, I, I, I wanted to be the singer of a band. Like I learned guitar so that I could be the singer of a band because otherwise uh, there was no way that anybody was going to take me seriously. And I started writing songs because I wanted to be the singer of a band and I, and nobody else I knew was writing songs. So I was going to have to do it. So that was even really hard still to this day. Like I don't write very much at all. Uh, it's not really my thing. I feel good about the stuff I have written, but um, the process is pretty excruciating for me, um, um, at least lyrically, it's really hard. Yeah. So that all of that stuff together, like, you know, this guy quit and then that guy quit, where are we going to, Oh, I, I got to invite this guy. I hate into the band because he's the only guitar player I know. And <laughs> who hasn't already quit the band once, um, you yeah. know, but that's, that's kind of all the stuff we went through early, early days. But yeah, by the time quitters never win came out, we, we had, basically our final lineup and we've tried changed drummers since then but yeah it, that's basically the band now so that's crazy so that song quitters never win and the title track of your record was basically a, a call to yourself to be like just hang in right. there, <laughs> like like is it worth it like just you know if right. it's worth it then keep doing it and uh right that's it's just, i am well, as long as you're having fun yeah <laughs> oh i wouldn't say i was having fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> Not then. There's 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 a lot of fun over the years for sure, but yeah. being in a band for me has always been more of a labor of love, to use uh, a phrase yeah. that a friend of mine uses. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's it's something that I'm passionate about, but fun. I it's it's more stressful than it is fun. It's work, yeah, it's work. Yeah, exactly. And I mean that can often be said for a lot of things about you know even when you love a job or having a family, being a father, stuff like that, like. There's lots of great yeah. moments and it's worth it, but the work that is required is, is a lot, you know, for some people more than others. I mean, guys who are writing, you know, a song a day and have good buddies they're playing with, like maybe it's not such a big deal, but uh, for me, it's always been a very, you know, just a ton, just, I had to do a lot to, to push the needle forward 
like the slice a little bit, you know? Well, I get you, man, because when I played in a band, I felt like if we had 12 songs for a record, it was because I had written 12 songs. Like we didn't do B-sides right. or like we didn't have a ton of like extra tracks. It was like, here are the 12 that I could squeeze out. Yeah. <laughs> Good or not, this is what we got. So it's funny to hear you say that because I feel, I feel the same way, man. Yeah, I think in, our, in the history of our band, we've maybe like completed and thrown out two songs. So, yeah. I mean, there's probably, yeah, yeah, I would say that's accurate. So, and both of those, yeah. or at least one of those is still like waiting to be kind of reworked because it was like one of the best things that we'd ever written, but the lyrics just didn't do it. So we, we left, right. we left it out of the, out of an album, but um, yeah, we don't, we don't write a lot of songs that, that end up being left alone. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I did. I've, I've done that too. So I can totally relate. <laughs> well, you're in control and I know it because I'm miserable again. Uh, I recently read that the opening track, Wish, was actually going to be the last song. Why the switch? Yeah, it was written to be the last song for sure. Um, and to me, still very much sounds like it could be. But we get, you know, we, yeah. we went to the studio, we recorded the whole album, we sequenced it the way we wanted it, um, which I no longer remember what went where. But but yeah, so we handed the, you know, we handed the CD to a bunch of our friends, and like the overwhelming response was that song, Wish, is amazing. Like nobody said much else about the rest of it. They just really liked Wish. And so that was cool. But like, I remember at least one person saying, yeah, every time I put your CD on, first I go to track 12, I listen to Wish, and then I listen to the album. Uh, and yeah. that was pretty obvious to us that like, okay, we, you know, we're a new band. Like we cannot have our best song last because, you right. know, that just, we got to grab we'll people. To yeah. It. So, so that kind of became the, because the opening track at that point is kind of the single that we put out on comps and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. did did reasonably well for us as a as a first song, but uh, yeah, very very Rise Against influenced. That was that was kind of the first thing I wrote where I, I was really listening to Rise Against, and to this day, I mm -hmm. I almost thought about re I thought about reaching out to Tim just to see if he would like sing some of it on the new version because it kind of always oh, really? it always in my oh, head man. it sounded like him, you know. But I I never bothered. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you should have, man. That would have been cool. Someday I'll, someday I'll trick him into it. When you re release it a third time, it'll come with. Uh... <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get him to do some weird version or something some someday. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like a, like it could be a final track. It's got the extended intro. It's got the uh, Boondock Saint, Boondock Saints uh, quote at right. the end there. It's pretty good. It's a great song. Thanks. You guys were clearly students of the mid '90s punk bands. You mentioned Rise Against. You mentioned. Good riddance. Um, and maybe you already answered this question a little bit, but if you could elaborate, what were some of the, the big influences you guys shared uh, when forming the band, when when prepping for this record? Yeah, I mean, I started with Pennywise and No Effects. Those were like my first two punk bands. I mean, technically, I've, I've been listening to Dookie uh, for quite a while, but I don't think I mm. associated that with uh, a particular musical genre yet in like 94. Mm. Um, but yeah, like 95, 96, I started getting into that fast punk. And it was basically all you know, fat records and epitaph bands. So Lagwagon, no use for a name, face to face, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and that was, awesome. you know, I think I found strung out while we were a band. Um, the Ataris were big at the time. Uh, we were pretty into them. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked all and descendants, you know, so a lot of the, a lot of the bands you'd probably expect, uh, if, if anyone was listening to that stuff at the time, there wasn't, weren't a lot of deep cuts probably, but, yeah, so that that was kind of where I was going. I had been in a band before, much the same. That was um, very. It was a punk band, but it was it was they had very disparate influences and weren't doing anything like what I really wanted to do. It was just somebody had asked me to be in a band, and I was super excited. When it came time for me to kind of start a new band, I was like, all right, this time I'm going to do kind of the thing I want to do. And it was it was very much that kind of Fat Records '90s kind of thing, um, which was still, I mean. I started the band in 99, so 99 to 2003, I mean, we were still getting some really great, like, no effects records, and you know, just, yeah. like, the fat record, the fat rec comps were still coming out, like, that's how I first heard Rise Against was on one of those comps, so it's like, mm -hmm. that was, that was the primary influence. Mill and Colin was another huge one uh, for me. Oh, yeah, awesome. You know, uh, bad, bad Religion, <laughs> obviously, like, that kind of stuff, so, 
yeah, that's that's what we were into. Uh, and, and I mean, lots of really good memories of just being like pretty young guys driving around in your car, like just blasting fast punk. And it was, you know, in the early days of the band, like punk was really still not a big thing yet. I mean, I guess by the time 99 rolled around, like, you know, some bands like Blink-182 and whatever were, were making it a bigger thing. But um, it still felt relatively underground to us, or at least to me. Um, so every time I found a new band that I really liked, it was like this huge deal. So, yeah, so that's kind of what we we're into, you know, when we first started things and, you know, bonded pretty well over, yeah, especially Lagwagon was a big, a very big influence uh, early on. Body Jar was another one that I wasn't super into, but the other guys were really into. Um, they're an Australian band, yes. so, yeah. Australian, yeah. It's cool. I was going to say, you guys do a cover of my favorite Lagwagon song, which is Making Friends. Oh, yeah. As you're in this search for something to hate, I can feel you rally around someone with your peers. But can you stand alone? Can you take the long way home? And that's a solid cover, man. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was fun because we basically yeah. took this one song that they did that was like very much not their usual style. And kind of went, yeah, went back yeah. to the usual style, I guess, or something. But, uh, yeah, you, know. <laughs> you guys do like a punk version where theirs is more of like a, like a, you know, Dave's rolling around on the drum. It's like a tribal drum beat. And it's almost kind of like, you know, this like big epic. I don't even know what you call it, but. Yeah, it's just kind of a breakdown the whole time. And yeah, we, I don't, that was my guitar player Dan's idea. Uh, it's just like, what if, what if we did the song this way and just kind of like jammed out a little bit of it and we're like, sure. And we weren't even a band when we did that. We, that we we were broken up at the time and kind of did it just for fun. Yeah, I remember that. That kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. What what inspired you guys to pull together to to do that? Um. So there was a documentary called A Fat Wreck, which you may have seen. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, someone, whoever was putting that out at the time, was looking for bands to do like Fat Wreck '90s covers. Um. And had re- I don't know if I don't know if they reached out to us first or if I reached out to them, but you know I was like, hey, this would Initially, I think I thought it was directly like done by Fat Records, and I think that was like the, the like oh my gosh, guys, like let's, oh, let's yeah. do something. Like I'd really love to be involved with this, and then I found out it wasn't directly involved, but that was fine. Um, and uh, yeah, so we just kind of threw that together as like a well, hey, this would be fun, and it it we recorded it like you know at our friend's place, you know, pretty cheap. You know, we no, we weren't together. Like the drummer was in another, you know our drummer lives in California. So he did his stuff out there with a, a buddy and we all came in at different times to our friend's house and recorded it. And once it was done, it was like, guys, this is really, this is really good. I, I want to keep writing music with you guys. Like, I know we didn't write yeah. this song, but you know, the arrangement is pretty different. And especially the bass lines that, that Frank wrote for that song, you know, just like, I was like, wow, if this is how you're playing now, like we got to write some of our own songs. And so, that was honestly the, the big kind of impetus behind getting back together was having to finish that, that cover. So, Well, that's awesome. So you guys kind of rebonded over like a, like a classic 90s uh, punk rock yeah. and reignited your, reignited your spirits, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I said this uh, in the intro, but you guys, like I always felt like, you know, you're a bit of a throwback band and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like you had that 90s vibe. And I always really liked that because I felt like in the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of the punk bands started to sound almost like too neat, too clean. Then here you guys were, and you were kind of like, you know, you were definitely students of 90s punk. And I was like, all right, these guys are great. Because, you know, you're doing that, but you're kind of making it your own thing, too. Yeah, any making it our own was was just complete lack of experience and ability, probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there, was, there was no point where we said, hey let's do yeah. this unique thing. It was a hundred percent. Let's, let's just emulate everything that we love. And, uh, hence yeah. the band name. Like when we had to change our band name, like that was literally the biggest complaint anybody would ever have about us was like, well, they sound like all the other nineties punk bands, like, <laughs> like nothing special, you know? Um, so that was, yeah. that was, I mean, and that's just what it was. And so if there was anything that we did, you know, well or uniquely or whatever, like, great <laughs> but it wasn't intentional yeah. at all you know but yeah i i think you're right though that there weren't a lot of 
that kind of like fast California punk, especially in Chicago going on, mm. you know, I mean, all else fails with, like I mentioned was, was another one that are definitely worth looking up. Yeah. Not a lot of people were playing fast, fast nineties, you know, California punk around Chicago. So that was, but that was what we were listening to, you know? And so it didn't really matter that nobody else was doing it. And I think that was what was really exciting too. When rise against started was, um, even though they were a little harder, it was like, Oh, we finally, you know, we got another Chicago band doing the kind of stuff we love because, um, all of our friends were doing something a little poppier. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. fallout boy was coming out around that time. You know, yeah. there were bands like starstruck jinx pack was one that was, that was, uh, a little faster and harder, similar to us. Yeah. It started to get really popular yeah. you know, in like the mid in the early two thousands, like a lot of pop influence started making its way. Right. Out. I mean, I think everybody was trying to be alkaline trio while we were still trying to be normal, you know, yeah. basically what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, which is, which was, you know, that's cool, but that, it was, it was weird to be kind of the odd man out most of the time. Yeah. Well, people like chase trends, but sometimes I feel like if you just stick with a trend, if you stick with something that worked before, sometimes you come out looking pretty good when, you know, those, those other trends kind of die off or people lose interest and, you know, you're still, you're still there and you're like, Hey, we're still doing this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't have agreed with that until very recently because I mean, (laughs) it always felt like we were just, you know, uh, yeah. Whether you call it a throwback or whatever, it was like, like we'd go on tour and it was all screamo bands every night, you know, Uh, and that's all we could find to play with. And, and the, the bands that were still playing our style, which were all of our favorite influences, like trying to get on shows with them was really hard, you know, um, and certainly mm-hmm. never really getting tours. I mean, we got lucky once or twice with some bigger things and certainly some good, good opening slots around Chicago with a lot of good bands. But yeah, it was, it was, it was really hard to kind of like get some momentum when we weren't playing the kind of thing that anybody really wanted to hear anymore. Um, so it was, it was yeah, like, it was like, Oh, this is so two years ago. Uh, or five years ago or whatever it was to anybody who even knew. Mm. I mean, a lot of the kids probably weren't even aware. Like I know there were lots of, we had a lot of kids, you know, younger kids who, who did get into us who like, you know, just would say like, I've never heard anything like you before. And I was like, well, here, let me, no. let me give you 10 records. <laughs> and now uh, you have, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. You, know, you didn't try to play it like, Oh yeah, we're totally right. no, no, no. <laughs> It was like, well, here, let, let me hand you no use for name. And now, yeah, lag who? Right. No use for what? Yeah, um, but it's also cool to think about that. Like, like there were kids who, like, we were their first introduction to any kind of like harder punk, which is pretty awesome. So. You mentioned tours and playing with bands. Uh, I, I guess you went on tour with Wilhelm after after your album came out and Break the Silence. What was what was that tour like? Yeah, oh, that was so much fun. So our that EP that I mentioned was that was you know kind of it was self released, but we technically released it with um, Wilhelm's original guitar player. He had a label, and so that's how we got in touch with them originally. So we had done a tour out like all the way up to Massachusetts and played a couple of shows with them um, when they were still mm-hmm. Smack and Isaiah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and, and, you know, just hung out like they, a bunch of them were living in a, this huge house, uh, at the time. And so we, you know, we were a young band, we couldn't get a lot of shows. So it was like, we had these two shows out there and then we hung out for like a week because we had nowhere else to go. Um, and, uh, and they were awesome. Like they're really cool to hang out with and just had a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. So when, uh, like, yeah, they were just about to release, I think their first album on Nitro at that point. Yeah. I'm not even sure how that all came together, except maybe that, uh, our drummer was, um, kind of becoming a booking agent. Like he had started posing as a booking agent for us, um, oh, nice. to, get us yeah. to get us better shows. <laughs> like just cause if you said you were so-and-so from something booking, it sounded better. Ah, there you and go. so trick, get some letterhead. Yeah. So I think he had done some booking for them. Maybe, no, I don't know. But anyway, we, I think he helped set that up and it's, it's been a long time. I don't remember the details, but yeah, we were, we were friends with them at the time and break the silence as well was on that tour. And, you know, like I said, they, that was, you know, Dan and our guitar player's best friend at the time, Dan as well. Uh, and then, 
That's actually three Dan's I've just mentioned in one sentence. <laughs> and then, uh, and then guys from all else fails. Uh, and so we were all pretty tight. So yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was another tour where like not that many people knew any of our bands. Uh, you know, we had, we had some people there, but I mean, if I'm talking like if there were 30 people there, we were pretty stoked, you know? So there was a lot of just basements and empty halls and stuff. And, um, but, yeah. but so much fun with those guys. Like we had such a good time because it was just like 15 friends hanging out, you know, for however many weeks we were out and yeah, Hell it was yeah. a blast. Yeah. And then they, they blew up, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> no hard feelings. No, 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 not at all. They're, I'm, 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 I'm excited for them that they've been able to continue doing what they're doing. And like, they were not, they were always kind of unique to me when I first heard yeah, it was the first Nitro record, Mute Print. Yeah. When I heard it the first time, I literally was at my desk at work shaking from excitement. Like yeah. my hands were shaking wow. because yeah. I was so excited for them about how good it was. I was like, I have never heard anything like this. It's so heavy and catchy and just different. Um, and I knew that they had really done something big um, with that. And um, so, yeah, so I, and now like, you hit, like tons and tons of bands like will name Wilhelm as like their primary influence. You know, you see it all the time now. So oh, yeah, I think that's, definitely. I think that's pretty awesome for them. Yeah, they're great. And I mean, I, I remember when they were smacking Isaiah, I had their, their first record. I feel it, was, it had a long title, something about the best way to a girl's heart is like through her boyfriend's. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a great record. And uh, my drummer and I, we, we actually really liked smacking Isaiah a lot. We didn't even know that they were, Wilhelm screaming. We were like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> so that's really cool. That's really cool. So after the tour, uh, you lose your drummer. He leaves the band. Was that a surprise or did you kind of see that coming? Yeah, I'd say it was a surprise, especially because he was, he was always one of the driving. He was like kind of co-managing the band with me. He was doing the booking. Right. Yeah. Uh, like he was, I, you know, I mean, technically I had a drummer before him, but he was effectively the first drummer. Like we, we basically started the band together. Yeah, he. I mean, there were a couple. There were some different issues. I mean, part of it was just kind of growing up and realizing that, like, I don't know how much longer I want to drive around the country playing to nobody. Uh, was part of it. Right. Um, yeah. There were some. Uh, there was, and I think just tensions were rising because of that kind of thing too. So it just became clear. Like, I remember we were, you know, it was on that tour with with Wilhelm that he just started kind of expressing this, like, just kind of being over it, you know, and. Um, I don't know that he ever like officially quit the band. It was kind of just more like it, yeah. it was clear to all of us that this isn't, he, he, he wasn't enjoying it anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and nobody was going to be enjoying it if he wasn't enjoying it. So it was kind of like this just mutual kind of like natural part ways kind of thing. Um, but we've stayed, you know, close with him and he's been very supportive of us the whole time too. So that's good. Um, yeah. It's, it's nice to not have, not have had some bad blood there because of that. Cause it could have, it could have, I mean, you know, when tensions are high, things can, things can go bad. And, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, they never did. So, well, that's good. Sounds like you guys parted ways at the right time <laughs> to keep relationships intact. Yeah, for sure. So just recently, Quitters was remixed and remastered. How'd that come about? Gosh, it started, I mean, probably started eight years ago. Before we'd even gotten together again, there was a local Chicago label that had reached out and said, hey, I'd really, I'm, you know, vinyl's getting to be a thing. Uh, would you be interested in, in letting us do vinyl if Quitters never win? And, you know, the band was dead. I was kind of like, yeah, sure, if you want to. I mean, you got to talk to you. <laughs> sure. And so we tried to make that happen. AF was, wasn't into it. They were kind of like, no, we've tried these deals before. Mm. They never really work out. The labels take the stuff, they release stuff and run. And um, it's just not, it's not worth it. And so, okay, you know, whatever. And over the years, like multiple smaller labels had come to us randomly now that vinyl was becoming a, a bigger thing, asking if we would want to do that on vinyl. And so the, that, the answer always kind of was the same thing. But at some point, you know, after we got back together, um, I started thinking, boy, that would be, you know, maybe, maybe we could make this thing work, but if we're going to do it, like, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to update the record a bit. Um, just because yeah. we were, I mean, we recorded it 
you know, on a really shoestring budget, you know, I mean, it's a small label, you know, we were a new band, there was, there was no budget to really do anything huge. And so what Dan did with us in the amount of time that we had was awesome, but it also meant that we had to cut some corners and take some, you know, just do some things that, you know, if we had more time, uh, we could have done better. And so, uh, so this, so now the technology exists to improve on that kind of recording quite a bit. And so, you know, that was kind of the, the big reason was just like, Hey, th- we can do this now. And so we talked to Mark Mahalik, who's a friend of ours. He recorded a bunch of Swallows records. Um, he did our demos for survive, um, and, um, really good guy, really good engineer. And he's a drummer too. So because the drums were the thing that we felt, you know, cause back then you couldn't do the kind of studio magic you can do now, at least not with the time we had was like, play the song all the way through. And if you messed up once, you got to do it again. Oh yeah. No punch in. Yeah. And so that was, kind of, that was what we did. It was like, well, all right, you've done the song four times and that was the best take. So let's just, we, we don't have much time. Let's, let's move on. And so, right. so that kind of stuff was uh, necessary then, but now it's like, you can go back in and you can, do some studio magic to it and some people might bristle at the idea of of that kind of process but that's that's how records are made now i was worried that people might not like updating something that to them could be you know classic or they like how it is or whatever and i was just like no i he, he was willing to do it uh and i knew he'd do a good job and we talked to him years ago so he basically was just waiting for us to get ready yeah eventually we just ended up buying the rights back from af um just to say like Oh, okay. So you bought them back. Okay. I was going to ask you about how, so how'd you obtain them from yeah. AF? So they let you buy it. Yeah. Cause they, okay. they were sort of interested in, in doing it, but there, even then there was, you know, the question of, well, we got to print this money to make, you know, for it to be financially worth it. And do you think they can be able to sell that many? And at the time I was like, honestly, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and then there was the extra cost. Like I didn't want to do vinyl if we weren't going to do the remix and that was going to add quite a bit of extra cost. So the whole thing was just not very cost effective to AF. Um, but it yeah. stayed something that I was really excited to try to make happen. So yeah, when when uh, everything is fine was uh, was out and survived kind of magically got a vinyl treatment right about the same time, which is a whole other story. You know, the, <laughs> A, the demand for, for quitters vinyl went way up. And, um, you know, for the first time in our lives, we had a little bit of money coming in from because we had self-released everything is fine so it's like oh yeah like we can actually make this happen and yeah maybe we'll lose money but um whatever like we're all adults with jobs you know <laughs> doing four shows a year or something so um as long as we can break yeah. even then great so it's just kind of like something we'd want to do a long time and the stars finally aligned uh to be able to make it make it happen so that's a very long-winded answer but <laughs> I was going to go back a little bit for a moment. You're talking about the updates and you mentioned the drums and stuff. And, you know, I think as long as you don't George Lucas the thing and, you know, totally change what it is, I think most people appreciate a nice, a nice update. What are some other highlights of the remastering and remixing that you're pleased with? I, I, I always, I almost kind of feel like uh, the bass got a little bit of a boost. Yeah. That sounds good. You know, I think. What are some other things? Yeah, the bass for sure. You know, some songs more than others, but, you know, that was, I think because the bass was so prominent on everything is fine. And we've gotten this like Mm -hmm. incredible tone that like just still to this day blows me away. It was like, Hey, everyone's talking about, you know, the bass playing and everything now, like maybe we we need to give that a little more of a, of a focus or whatever. So that was, that was out of that. And I think I, you know, I don't know how you make things sound differently. Like, you know, we got all the files from Dan, you know, the original recording. So he was basically working from scratch with, with all the original tracks. Um, I had to re-record like one, like quick yell that had been lost somehow in a track. Like we just didn't have no, really? it or something. <laughs> I was really glad it was just That's like, a, yeah, you know, yeah. a major part. Um, Cause that would have been a bummer to have to like truly re-record something, but. Especially if your voice has changed in, you know, however many years. For been. sure. And you can never, no matter what, you can't imitate it. Like it's not going to sound the same. I was a little surprised that I guess, I mean, the guitars still sound kind of the same, but also, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but they, de- they definitely sound a little more uh, full and modern. And I don't know how you take an existing recording of a guitar and make it sound different, but um, you did. So mm. I think overall, just the whole, <laughs> the whole thing 
you know, it's probably a time issue too. Like he was able to take his time. There was no rush to try to get it out mm-hmm. and all that stuff too. So, uh, but whatever it works out, you know, he did a great job and it's like, it captured the best of the, the best of the original recording Dan did and brought it kind of into a modern sound too. Uh, so that it lines up a little better with the later records. So, yeah, man. Well, it sounds great. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get, to get my vinyl in the mail. I'm still waiting for it, but I have the, uh, I have the uh, audio on my computer, but Wait, which final did you order? I got one of the the splatter versions. I, and I now I can't remember which one I grabbed. Oh, no. I think I got the, uh, <laughs> I think I got the blue. Is there a blue one? There was a blue and white one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got I got the blue one. So I'm 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 anxiously awaiting it. It should be here any day. I'm thinking because yeah, I'm seeing that other people are are getting theirs. So. Yep, they've been mailed out. So yeah, I haven't I haven't even seen awesome. one yet. So I'm, I'm I'll get mine about the same time you get yours. So nice, <laughs> awesome man. So I guess my last question is, how'd you hook up with Thousand Island and Lockjaw Records for uh, this reissue? Um, so they released uh, our, our new album, Everything is Fine, as well. Um, yep. Thousand mm-hmm. Islands, we met, we played music for Cancer Fest up in Quebec two, three years ago. Um, and yeah. they were there. We didn't know who they were at the time. They were just kind of helping work the fest and were super nice. Um, and you know, after the fact, we became aware that they were, that they had a label. Um, and so, um, when, you know, when we wanted to do everything, it's fine that, you know, kind of the idea behind that was, Hey, we're not touring. No, no, like, you know, bigger U S label or anything is going to have any interest in a band that's putting out a record, you know, 13 years later with, with no tour support. You know, I was just kind of tired of not owning our stuff. Like, having to, have to go through yeah. all that we went through to be able to do the vinyl for the other two records. I mean, it was a, there's a lot of back and forth for years to try to make that happen. And I was just like, you know what? It's just not worth it. Like there's, there's nothing a label can offer a band that's not doing much anyway, that would make it worth them keeping, you know, 70% of the profits or whatever. That's kind of where we started was just like, all right, we'll release it. And if there are labels who want to get involved and, and do the physical stuff, then great. And so, so yeah, so I mean, I think I, I think Thousand Islands were the first people I even reached out to. Maybe second, there was a couple of U.S. labels I talked to as well. But, but yeah, yeah, pretty quickly I, you know, I talked to them and they were super into it. And then uh, Lockjaw, I wasn't aware of. I had some good recommendations from some other bands that had worked with them, uh, and said that they were like super, super good with promotion and all that kind of stuff. There were a few European labels that I was talking to as well that were interested, um, but the. You know those recommendations were really what what clinched it and so so we ended up going with them and then uh p records down in australia we knew because they were doing oh, they yeah. had done um the decline records we had just toured with the Decline yeah. uh in in south america so you know and it, it's like wherever we can get this record out you know whoever whoever's willing to do it and is reliable <laughs> um and so so yeah so we, we worked with those three labels so when it came time to do quitters it was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, we, again, we talked to some other labels who were interested in, in doing it, but it's hard to, I don't know, A, we now had a relationship and we knew we could trust them. We knew they did a good job. And B, like just the exciting idea of like, hey, now people can just get all three of our records because they, you know, two of the labels had, had bought a whole bunch of copies of, of Survive as well. So it's like to be able to buy all three records in a bundle or whatever from, from one label just outshined any other reason why we might go with somebody else. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious choice and we're pretty happy with how everything's been going. Well, Chris, thank you so much for talking to me about, uh, quitters never win today. I, I think you guys are fantastic. This record and maybe even, uh, survive a little more, uh, get pretty heavy rotation in my house. Your new record, everything is fine is also amazing. I have that one too. And, uh, you know, I know it's only like 30 minutes, uh, but it feels short, man. I, I'm always, uh, left wanting more, so. <laughs> it is it is a little short <laughs> we got a lot of flack for yeah. oh, why only nine songs and it's like well it's, it's yeah, two yeah. minutes shorter than well it's nine songs but it's still 30 right. minutes but yeah. yeah it's short it's yeah short. exactly so but whatever i mean that, those are the songs we had and it was supposed to be a three song ep uh when we booked the studio time so oh yeah really? ah, all right so we got a little more then we got a little, <laughs> a little, more. little more than we should have so what's on the uh, horizon for you guys 
Right now, literally the only thing we have planned going forward is uh, we're going to play Red Bridge Fest up in Quebec uh, next summer. It was supposed to be uh, in June of this year, um, but you know, with everything yeah. going on, that was canceled. So right. we're doing that yeah. festival, um, uh, and then there's going to be a show or two, you know, before or after as well up there in like Quebec, Montreal area. So that'll that's like a four day trip for us, which is pretty much what we like to do at this point. It's like Get in, play some, play a couple shows, get out, go back home. <laughs> Even the ten day tour we did last year, uh, there are times where it's like, man, I'm an old man now, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the big bands who are all in their fifties and sixties who you know can get nice nice hotel rooms and good dinners every night and all that stuff, like it's not so bad. But you right. know, still not being a hundred percent sure where we're sleeping tonight is just at forty one is is not. I know so, it loses its luster when you're <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, totally. so it is what it is. where am I going yeah, yeah so that was so that's all we're that's doing funny. so far I mean you know who knows uh what else will happen we're working on music very slowly again um but there's no telling yep. when there will be anything uh anything out again so this this quitters thing was kind of like the last for at least a period um kind of like all right we're gonna get this out there all of our records are out in vinyl you know, everything's cool. Like let's pause and hold for a little while and just see where life takes us. And, and so, but I hope, I hope to be playing a few shows a year for as long as people will listen to it. So awesome. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Hope you get out to Massachusetts again sometime. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I'd love to, I love to go anywhere, anywhere people will have us that yeah. we can, that we can pull off, but yeah, four shows a year or 10 shows a year or whatever. It's pretty limited. So, um, we may have to meet somewhere at, at you know, some random festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, thanks for uh, donating an hour of your time to chat with me. Um, appreciate it, man. Yep, for sure. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks cool. a lot. All right. Awesome. Take care, man. All right. Later. Bye-bye. Well, all right. I'd like to once again thank much the same guitarist and singer Chris McGrath for coming on the show today. If you want to pick up the band's records, you can visit Thousand Islands Records' Bandcamp site. UK friends, you can hit up Lockjaw Records at lockjawrecords.co.uk. Australian pals, precords.com has your records. Pick up this band's records, you will not be disappointed. I'd like to thank Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake for the theme music, and my man Craig for the graphics, and the website, TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. Check it out. Order yourself a shirt or something. Every little bit helps us cover some of the small costs to produce a great podcast. We appreciate your support of the show through ordering some gear. You can also smack the donate button. We also appreciate your support on the socials, interacting with us and all that great stuff. All right. Take care, everyone. Keep those records spinning.